0: Welcome to the Candid Divorce Lawyer podcast, brought to you by Trithowans. Family law can be an emotional rollercoaster, a mix of sadness, anger, hope, and worry. The Candid Divorce Lawyer explores topics from marriage to divorce and everything in between. This podcast does not constitute legal advice and is for informational purposes only if you're looking for legal advice please do not hesitate to get in touch with us via the details in our bio
1: welcome to another episode of the candid divorce lawyer my name is emma wilders pratt I am a partner in the family team in our Winchester office here at Trithowans. I'm joined today by Lucy Sponin, head of our residential property team in Winchester. Hello, Lucy. Hello, Emma. Thank you very much for having me today. Thank you for coming. Today, we're going to be talking about what to think about when buying a house. Absolutely. So, Emma, I have many clients
2: buying their first property. Buying a house is a monumental task, both financially and mentally. So, What would you advise an unmarried couple to think about when considering purchasing a house together, especially if one party is putting in more money than the
1: other? Good question, Lucy. I suppose there are a few things to consider. Firstly, they should consider how they hold the property. What I mean by that is how they hold uh, the legal title. So I can imagine couples will come to you, say they want to buy a house. And the first thing they need to decide is whether they're going to hold it as joint tenants or tenants in common. So joint tenants means that they hold it jointly together, quite simply. So if they then sold the house, then the net process of sale would be divided equally. So if you've got one person putting in a lot more money to that deposit to purchase the house than the other, they just need to be aware of the fact that if the house is sold in the future, then the legal title would say that that would be irrelevant and the process should be divided equally. So that's one thing to consider. Another option would be that they hold it as tenants in common. And they that would mean that they can then identify how they should hold the equity of that property. So they would enter into a declaration of trust that would confirm to anybody who'd need to know that they, how they hold it. So for example, they could say, one client could say, "Well, i you know I put in eighty percent of that deposit, so if the net proceeds of sale are divided, and at the end, if we sell the house, I want eighty percent, or you know they can craft what they think is appropriate based on their initial contribution. Another thing to consider is whether or not they want to enter into a cohabitation agreement. What that is, is an agreement between the two of them to decide how they're going to live effectively. So how the bills are going to be paid, uh, what should happen if one person contributes to the renovations or fixtures and fittings, that type of thing. Again, just to try to make sure there are no arguments at the end of the day, if unfortunately their relationship breaks down. One thing I really think is important for couples to remember is that there is no such thing as a common law, wife or husband. That's something I hear a lot of the time. There's a podcast available that explains this in more detail, but I do think it's worth a listen to for couples that aren't married, because the law's very different if you are married and if you aren't married.:
2: It's really, really interesting, Emma. Now, without wanting to ruin the element of surprise here, what
1: if the couple did intend to marry? Good point. If they intend to marry, then they need to think about it carefully again, because as I've just explained, if you are married and your relationship breaks down, the law speaks differently with regard to how the matrimonial assets, which would include the house, would be divided. So it's probably helpful to think about entering into a prenuptial agreement, especially if one party has put in a lot more money into the house than the other. That prenuptial agreement will dictate their views and thoughts with regard to what should happen in the event the relationship breaks down. Again, forgive me for another plug, but there is another podcast that explains prenuptial agreements available. And it's another good listen because it explains how this country, the law in this country, treats prenuptial agreements.
2: Absolutely. Um, Is
1: there anything else that they should consider? Oh, gosh, let me think. So might sound odd but i had a case recently whereby the biggest issue was what's going to happen to the party's dog that was very much their fur baby and they needed to decide how on who's going to look after the dog when and where so that become very it became very emotional very distressing for both clients so you might want to consider at the beginning of a relationship a pet nap and that mm-hmm. is an agreement that you would reach between the two of you to determine what should happen to that animal in the event uh, of a separation
2: Oh, goodness. Just moving moving on to slightly different elements. Quite often, when acting for my clients, I see parents who want to help their children financially and provide them with a lump sum towards the purchase of that property. So, from a family law perspective, what are your views on this?
1: Okay, well, that's something a parent will need to think very carefully about. The first thing a parent will need to decide is whether this is a gift to both parties, and if so, is it an outright gift. What what are they going to feel like if the parties separate? Are they feeling comfortable with the fact that that gift is obviously a gift to both parties, not necessarily just to their son or daughter, uh, if the relationship breaks down? Do they want their investment to be repaid in the event of a sale or in the event of a relationship breaking down? And if that is the case, they need to think about the options available to them to secure that interest. One option would be that they co-own the house with a couple and they're included in the legal title then they can have a declaration of trust that sets out how each hold the legal and beneficial interest.
2: And it is also very, very um, important to consider whether a mortgage lender will agree to a declaration of trust. So this is something that I would say that a borrower should speak to their financial advisor about or, or even directly with their mortgage lender before
1: making a decision. As you say, there are many options. Absolutely. Yeah, that's a good point, Lucy. Thank you. Another option would be that the couple purchase the property in their joint names and then have a, a different type of declaration of trust between the two of them that says that in the event of the relationship breaking down, that parent's gift should be repaid on sale. So that's another option. Another option would be that the parents could have a charge secured against the property. So would be a bit like a mortgage provider. Mm. But there's yeah lots to think about. I think in a nutshell, if the parent wants to protect their investment and doesn't want it to be seen as an outright gift, they need to seek independent legal advice.
2: I completely agree with you. Do you think the couple should think about what would happen in the events of the
1: other person dying? Yes, Lizzie, I think they should. A good point. Gosh, there's so much suddenly for them to think about, isn't there? Yes, if God forbid one of you were to pass away, you'd need to decide what should happen to that person's interest on their death. So that brings me back to what we discussed earlier on, and that was about joint tenants and tenants in common. So if you hold the property as joint tenants, what that means is if one of you were to pass away, then that deceased's interest automatically goes to the other person, if that makes sense. It's called the survivorship rule. If you don't want that to happen, and in the event of, Your death or partner's death, you would like that interest to go into your estate, then you need to hold the property differently. And that's holding it as tenants in common. So, again, lots to think about.
2: Goodness, there is a lot to think about here, isn't there? Now, I always would say that purchasing a property is very, very exciting. But also to think about it as if it's a sheet of tinfoil, there is a beautiful, shiny side, but also a more muted side
1: too. Absolutely, great analogy, Lucy. Thank you for that. Well, I think that's hopefully been very helpful for our listeners. Is there anything further you need to you think might be helpful,
2: Lucy? No, I don't think so. I just think it's very important for a client to think very carefully about their financial options before perhaps putting in an offer on a house and and
1: maybe to speak with their solicitor before doing so. I agree, Lucy. At least we're here to help. Thank we you. Are, we are. Well, thank you everyone for listening today. I hope you can join us again soon for another episode of The Candid Divorce Lawyer.
0: Thank you for listening to The Candid Divorce Lawyer podcast brought to you by Trith To hear more from us, don't forget to subscribe to this podcast. You can also follow our Instagram page at Candid Divorce Lawyer. This podcast does not constitute legal advice and is for informational purposes only. If you're looking for legal advice, please do not hesitate to get in touch with us via the details in our bio.